Hello, my name is Sam Chandra and this is Deep Sky. Each week we go into conversation, helping you to explore and understand the uncharted waters of the intersection of artificial intelligence, aviation and the future of humanity. I am an airline captain, a student of artificial intelligence and your guide to navigating the new world of aviation transformed by artificial intelligence. This week's guest is Connor McKenna. He is the founder and CEO of Vocavio Technologies. Vocavio is an Irish company that is looking at a section of voice recognition technology that has escaped the mainstream media, tonal analysis, or more specifically, prosaic accommodation. Vocavio are creating advanced analysis tools that are able to monitor the performance of flight crews, military personnel, and other teams of people in safety-critical environments. The technology can offer instructors and practitioners alike better awareness of their performance in these environments. In this conversation, we discuss voice, performance monitoring, data collection, and adaptive autonomy in aircraft. This is Deep Sky. So, could you just give an overview of what Vocavio is and what it does? Yeah, sure. So, uh, good morning. It's a speech technology company. We found it. Uh, end of 2013. I myself have been working in emerging technologies for 20 plus years. I came back from working with a company in Cambridge in the UK, a software business. And I said, I need to get involved in something that is defensible, high, deep tech, and uh, excites me. And I got involved with a research group in Trinity College in Dublin in the speech and language lab there. And they were looking at measuring communication performance using speech signals. Mm-hmm. And specifically looking at an area called prosodic accommodation. And that pros- prosody is the speech uh, rhythm and tone of your voice. Right. When you are speaking with another person, those signals start to uh, align with another person or, or, to, or converge or diverge, depending on whether you understand each other or you're in a collaborative state or not. So it's in, in the essence of if one person in a dialogue is, starts to, to whisper, the other person would as well. And we don't train ourselves to do that. It's a naturally occurring phenomenon. It's been known for 30 plus years. But the innovation that came out of Trinity was the ability to automatically assess this change in adaptation in the human voice. Right. So the original applications uh, were into the broadcasting industry. And I was scratching my head thinking, what's the true value of that? We know when maybe two politicians are in agreement and when they're not. Okay, at a right. certain value. Well, I saw this technology and I said, this has got to be applied into safety and mission critical environments. And specifically, I've always had a passion for uh, aviation. My own mother worked in aviation with Aer Lingus many years ago. And mm-hmm. I've always tracked that and the developments in NASA. I grew up with all the sort of shuttle launches. So we've been very passionate about it. Never quite made the leap into becoming a, a pilot, but I've worked in, in technology. So I suppose I'm combining the passion of following developments in aviation with obviously what, what I know of technology. Vocavio today, we have a speech technology platform and that we uh, sell into the simulation and training sector. Right. One side of the business is selling into the simulator manufacturers in commercial aviation. And the other side is into synthetic training on the military side in the defense industry. So it's quite a an interesting combination. Really, first, the why we've moved into both areas is that one moves faster than the other. There's probably innovation is happening faster on the defense side, where mm-hmm. they really have adopted digital. They, I guess they have budgets that can support that, and they can innovate yeah. faster. And 
really when commercial aviation, as we would expect, it's a conservative industry. They want to innovate in key areas. And we can see that around the changes in aircraft and looking to reduce emissions and advances on the on, on, in various aspects. But when it comes to pilot training, this is definitely, it's a slower industry. And while we started in the end of 2013, and we ran a number of applied research projects, we found ourselves slowed down a little bit. And and that, that can often be the case, Sam, where the technology can be ahead of where the market is. And I think Vocavio was mm-hmm. a perfect example of that. How far along that journey did you find yourself either having to make a decision whether to uh, fully focus or more fully focus on the defense side and leave behind civil aviation for the meantime and perhaps maybe slow down uh, that pace? Yeah, I think really 2016 was a, a, a moment where we said, well, we need to do something here. We run several trials with airlines and the purchase orders were not really following through. And we said to ourselves, what's happening here? Why is the resistance? And in fact, recently was asked, what's the biggest thing holding back growth in the business? My response was fear of data. There right. was a fear that in commercial aviation, on one hand, you have the training uh, organization and they were looking for an edge in their training, constantly looking at, and this culture of the what we call the 1%, right. where can I enhance my safety even by a factor of 1%? I'm looking for that edge. So we just have to make a commercial decision to say, okay, we know commercial aviation will come. And we've kept, and we've been, fairness, very reasonable with the industry in, in submitting white papers. My colleague, Jerry, who's based at the States, he most recently spoke in, at APATS in Singapore to, again, just to, remind people we're still here this capability exists it Mm. may add value to the pilot training continuum at some point so yeah but we then just let's say okay cloud is happening military seem to be putting more money into digital transformation let's get moving there and we secured a a good size contract to really push us forward uh, in that domain and yeah we've enjoyed that so we keep our keep our hands in both both yards so to speak it was five years ago, perhaps, that you thought, okay, let's see where this military thing goes. So could you just describe a bit about the, the different products and the different solutions that you offer, just to give guys a bit of an overview before we move further? Yeah, Perfect. The first product we developed was a called uh, VLab. And VLab was right. simply an application that we could run in a training room. We could capture the speech of two pilots doing uh, an exercise. So you could process it locally. And output it. And we ran what we call sessions called assess, coach, learn. So we ran that with a number of well-known airlines. Uh, we would have gra- gathered good data. And we also had instructors score those sessions. So quite a challenge for instructors or CRMIs to sit in on a session that's 10 minutes long. These, the pilots were doing what's called a NASA non-native task. Shipwreck, I think, was the chosen one at the time. Okay. For you to be a strong communicator. Uh, team worker and make decisions under pressure because you're against the clock. During that task, disruption is introduced by the instructor. But the scoring instructors found it very challenging to score two pilots uh, every minute across those three competencies. And really, the, the exercise there was to really try and support this argument that sensor technologies, the like of what Vocavio does, has the capacity to consistently score communication over, t- over a timeline. And okay. the instructors will always observe more, but uh, we really wanted to convey that, well, listen, it's this is just supports an instructor, and that's the, the key mm-hmm. message. So that was VLab. We then took the leap to move this into the cloud. So vSIM Dialog emerged. We can now bring that 
technology into a training center, capture the voice from, let's say, a level D simulator, send it into the cloud, JSON files return, and they're presented in a web tablet uh, for debriefing by the pilots. And they can be de-identified or mm-hmm. it can be fed into another system where perhaps you're considering how you're you're going to blend a, a score and have this sort of human in the loop and then to get the input from your instructor base as well. Then the third area we're in is called vConnect, and that's really on the, the defense side, where vConnect is very much about multiple speakers across multiple devices in a synthetic training environment. I think it's largely an invisible industry. It's a market that quietly beavers away. A lot of money spent by various governments to ensure that their various troops, whether it's Air Force or Navy, or army that they're all ready for whatever missions they're on and yeah those collective training exercises are, are complex and really now it's moving to being able to understand how folks are communicating and using data science not just uh, let's say sensors like our, we have in vocavio but other aspects that they're looking at so whether it's uh, thermal imaging of the face which tells us several areas of workload and the areas oh, like really? that so wow yeah it's ultimately it's an area called assess uh, determining crew state so what can your, the biosignals from your body tell us mm-hmm. about the human condition at that point in time? So are you under pressure? Because I can ask you on a flight deck, we're on a final approach into Heathrow. It's a pretty busy place. You're, you're sitting upright in the chair and you're, you say, I'm on. This is, I've been coasting for the last X hours coming from wherever. This is what I get paid to do now. I need to concentrate. Yeah. So these sensors would be able to tell us that, yeah, these pilots are, yeah, the workload is high, but they're actually doing a great job. And I think that sometimes gets lost. And back to my comments around the fear of data, we're so fortunate that the, the, the global training, pilot training industry is very advanced and the standards are incredibly high. And I think really these technologies are just another step towards monitoring standards and keep upkeeping them. I'll just summarize what you said for a second. So basically, it's a lot to summarize. But so you have the three uh, sort of products in your line, you're you're essentially providing uh, voice analytics, specifically not around the vocabulary or or what that people are saying or the semantics, but what was the term you used before the uh, begin with a P? The the prosody. So we, we look at prosodic accommodation. So how your voice signals actually uh, align when you're in a collaborative state and they, so they converge or diverge depending on whether you're in a collaborative state or not. So when you understand each other, high levels of prosodic accommodation, when you don't fully understand something or there's a high chance of miscommunication, they're quite low. And that's the, the yeah. critical aspect. And I suppose it's where our patterns are and the area that the science helps me came out of Trinity College. And you were correct to draw that distinction because there's a big industry around looking at speech transcription and also trying to look at emotion from speech. And that's what people are saying. So we transcribe what they are saying. The challenge with that we have with that is when you're, again, back to our example of two, two pilots on final approach into Heathrow, if we look at voice recordings, let's say there was a, a minor incident, okay? But an incident that warranted perhaps it to be written up. And they look at the, the voice recordings. What you can get there are transcriptions where you, you're, when people are listening back to the say, everything seemed to be done by the book and they followed all right. their SOPs and their checklists and how did that happen? So right. things like fatigue, it can be a case that there's muscle memory for when someone else says to you, check 500 and you say, proceed to land or whatever the SOP is in your particular airline. You could be just doing that out of habit. And yep. if you are impaired because you're dehydrated, your blood sugars are down, you're tired, or there's something happening that you haven't 
maybe articulated. Perhaps in the corner of your eye, you're looking at something out the front. You're thinking, is that a drone? Is that a helicopter? What, what's that? You haven't actually said anything. You haven't verbalized it, but your attention has been brought over there. So that's where I believe we have an edge in being able to support these next generation systems and being able to say, okay, that's what they said, but let's have a look here and, and, have a, and see what, why do these signal values diverge between these two pilots? And it's often right. because there was distraction or fatigue or there's something that caused one, one pilot or even both to not fully be in sync at that point in time. I think that's what we're looking at for. Okay. And does this work with one person or is it, do you have to have this comparator to another person? Yes, you, you do right now. We right. often get, it's a great question because we often get questions around synthetic training. When I say in terms of commercial pilot, people are looking at sort of avatars. So could I train with an avatar mm. sitting with me? So I'm I'm in the left-hand seat, but my FO to my right is, a, is an avatar. Could that work? So you, you put in like the FO from hell or the, the dream <laughs> exactly. FO uh, or the, the exactly. training, the check pilot. Yeah, that, That's it. That's that FO can hell might be someone who talks too much, talks too little. There's a whole range of things where I mean, if we got into that. So we'll, we'll leave that for another day, right. I think is probably best. But <laughs> More likely to be a, a captain from hell, to be honest. Yeah, uh, yeah, listen, I think you raised a good point, right? So in all the work we've done, in almost uh, coming close to 10 years of processing a pilot speech audio, the reality is first officers accommodate to captains. Okay, so if we run an exercise, right. captain with 8,000 hours in the left-hand seat, FO with 800 hours, you will find that the person who accommodates least is the leader, and that will invariably be the captain. So it's the person who's got a narrow range of frequency. You don't get out of bed and say, oh, I'm going to speak in a narrow range of frequency today. It's as much about <laughs> your attitude and your confidence and your experience to say, this is how I'm going to run the shop today. That's pretty much how. And when you come to work with that attitude of, we can get into it, what they term, how, how do pilots create a, a positive CRM environment or crew resource management environment mm. or open CRM? The, the best captains in the world will start the day with that the general chit chat to really understand who's this FO, where have they come from, are there any areas where they might oh you went to mb riddle oh very good and, and the, the conversation continues and it creates that okay fo now feels open to share information because really the biggest danger in all this is that an fo can assume that the captain is is always going to bring his a game they want to bring their a game but that's just not the way life works that's why you have the second pilot there to 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 support that and make sure that as a team you perform well together, you get the job done and you get people there safely in the interest of the airline on time. Yeah, that's the essence of our thought. Okay. And so you have these three products, the analytics uh, engine, the cloud yeah. accompaniment and the military slash teamwork product currently in Vicavio. Where would, where, what's the ultimate manifestation of Vicavio for you? Oh, yeah. Listen, I love this question. This is, so our, our Olympic gold, we call it the Olympic gold in the office right. is really getting this technology into an operational environment. Yeah, we've been working with a, a market development company out of Canada. And they, as soon as they saw our technology, said, yeah, listen, the trainings, these chaps are all ex-armed forces. They saw our technology and said, we're going to work with you, but mm -hmm. we're really excited about what this could do in operations. And we said, okay, we, we hadn't thought about getting this into a naval frigate or perhaps into vehicles in terms of armored vehicles or tanks or this, but that's where their heads were at. For us, our Olympic goal, we always thought, was going to get into, into the flight deck so that right. we can add to, we, we, we're all familiar with flight data management and mm -hmm. what an aircraft can churn off 
200 plus parameters and the performance of the aircraft, that's great. And that helps with maintenance and it helps with confidence that your, your aircraft is in good nick and you can yep. get on with your job. But equally, from a operational perspective, we believe there's an edge to be had by capturing unobtrusively the voice communication of the crew so that we can understand where what, what areas of flight are actually higher workloads than perhaps we assumed. So there's lots of assumptions that, oh, this is a kind of low, low workload phase. But there's also going to be many, there's other factors that might be at play on that particular day. And we might find that, well, actually, because of that airport's under, there's a whole area under construction. Yeah, it was the taxi ride was very stressful mm. because maybe the, the maps were a little bit off or there was a bit of clarification with the tower. Before they even lined up, they're thinking, oh, my God, I feel like I've done a day's work just to get here. So... I think we certainly see this technology on a pathway. We don't think it's really, we're looking at sort of three to five years before we even get, I think, to testing this okay. on the flight deck. But yeah, that's the goal is to to get this into a, a little box that can capture the voice communications and might I add, generate the speech signal values. So we're not interested in right. what they're saying. We're interested yes. in how they're talking to each other. And that tells us enough to be able to support other insights that can be generated so that operationally an airline could say okay that's fascinating about what we didn't realize some of these rural airports were the workload is so heavy for these guys coming in because the weather is so erratic yeah and i think that's tr truly where we'd like to get to okay so you'd like to be able to have real-time analysis in flight on Correct. real operating air crews and to derive safety benefits or other operational benefits from Correct. that Absolutely, Sam. And I, I think part of our role as a young company is to be a little bit disruptive and maybe stop people in their train of thought from this is the way we've always done it. There are new ways of doing things. And mm. sometimes you're more welcome than others. We've seen that over the years because change can be hard. And ultimately, we found that as we go into these industries and we're into, let's say, talking conversations around operationally, this is what we think we could do as we move into that area we might find this a specific piece of value we've never even thought of. But mm -hmm. in truth, the airlines go, yeah, this I really want to know this phase of operation, what's happening. It might be to do with time management. It could be to do with pre-approach, checklist, who knows? But there's, there's the more we engage uh, on that pathway, and I said, ultimately, it's going to be the OEMs, the manufacturers right. are going to have to embrace that kind of thinking. And I guess we'd like to be part of that conversation at some point. Right. So right now you're still in the process of really understanding where that value can be unlocked. Or do you have quite a good idea of maybe a couple of areas where this is how our little box will be solving problems? In terms of real time, there's where certainly the defense side of things are moving towards is human machine interaction, where the sensor, as it's embedded within the, let's say, for example, it's a helicopter, the aircraft will begin to understand the human state, the pilot state so right. that it will make certain systems more available than others. So if you take it from the sort of light touch, let's just capture it, generate some values, get some insights, you know, let's say in commercial aviation too, through to where they're looking at in helicopter operations, being able to use biosignal data, not just vocab, that will actually support whether the machine will offer up certain access to certain systems or not. So a system might say to you, no, this isn't a good time to be on autopilot. We think maybe you're a little bit tired and we actually want you to be flying manual in this phase of operation because we want you sitting upright because you need it. And that's where they want to go. So we're talking about adaptive 
levels of autonomy based on the current performance of a human. Correct. Correct. Because right now, a a machine is taking that everyone's a certain standard, everyone has a certain amount of sleep, all of those factors, and they now recognize that is not the case. And ultimately, it's through they're arriving at these sort of investment decisions around where they put the money into the next general flight Mm. systems around what is the data telling us? And the data is telling us, well, fatigue is, that's a constant. How might we safely mitigate some of those risks with having sensors that can accurately measure that? But so it could be eye tracking. There's an exciting company out of, out of Australia called Seeing Machines. They're doing mm-hmm. a lot of work in cars. They've started working with the Australian Air Force in the last year. And that type of technology lets us understand gaze, but also if you're having what is termed a micro nap. So your eyes can give give away a lot about now snoring. Obviously, would give away a lot for for if you could hear your co-pilot <laughs> snoring away. Yeah, but that doesn't happen, as we know. No, I've, but, I've never uh, seen someone sleep on a flight. No, no, only in the restroom, exactly, or in the, yeah. the canteen, even. Yeah. So I think it's blending all these, and that's the journey. And it's right. It's simply, it'll take time. But really, when we ask pilots, and particularly in the left hand seat, why does this technology interest you in terms of the vocabulary technology? They say, I kind of need to know that the the guy or girl in the right-hand seat is is up to the job. What do you mean? That they're competent, that they have it. When you can go through all the competency tests, but mm. dial in a bit of pressure, some ambiguity, has that person got the critical thinking skills to be able to support uh, a safe flight deck and, and safe operation? Thankfully, we're, we the standards are incredibly high. We use the analogy of uh, the strength and the conditioning coach their job in a, let's say in a sports team has got to make it interesting when the guys go, guys and girls come to the to their land training or they're in the gym they've they designed programs to ensure yeah. that they're actually working on different muscle sets so that it's not the same every day so particularly i'm sure with rugby teams with that they they gotta make it interesting there's now technology they use called kitman labs for tracking all how they're performing and right. then ultimately you're they give their athletes sort of ownership of their data to say, well, that's how you perform today. Oh, okay. You were a little bit dehydrated at the start. Maybe have a think about that tomorrow. Mm. Maybe have a bit more water in the mornings before you come down here. And I think you'll get more out of yourself. So you're trying to shift it back to the individual. And I think that's the whole performance culture drive behind a lot of this technology. Okay. So this is the AI and aviation podcast. So let's talk a little bit about that, the, the neural networks, the data, sure. the all those considerations. It's voice data. And obviously you had to train it using yep. someone's voice or a bunch of people's voices. So how do you go about addressing the issues of data privacy and whose voices did you use to train the model? And how do you go about consent for that kind of use of data? Sure. Listen, great questions. And I'll maybe share, talk about the training the model first. So I think your listeners are going to love this bit, which I certainly found fascinating. Prosody in the human voice is language agnostic. So whether I'm speaking Japanese, English, or, or Russian, there's prosody, there's the tone of my voice carries the words I'm using. So right. the example we gave is that you're, you're a tourist, you're, maybe your French isn't great, and you're going to a cafe in Paris, you're not going to know in a couple of nanoseconds whether the waiter is is welcome or is quite grumpy, uh, abrupt. So it's simply the tone, whether he speaks French or English to you, you're going to pick that up. And that's Mm. into our core ability, our our fight or flight in our default settings as humans to know, am I in a a comfortable environment or am I not so comfortable? And should I do a a runner? And so this is natural to us to constantly 
classify tones for what is a welcome environment, what is a hostile environment. So that's an, an important. So when we went to train the, the Dr. Brian Vaughan and Dr. Celine Deleuze, the inventors of the, of the technology, when they were training the, the initial algorithms, they were looking at Japanese speech. So right. neither Brian or Celine uh, spoke Japanese. They were looking for agreement and disagreement. So they're totally, they're removed from the words be, being used. They're just looking at the, the tonal values. So they got a lot of uh, Japanese telephone calls, obviously, that were approved. There's lots of audio shared in the speech industry with each other to develop the state of the art. I would urge your listeners, if they ever get a chance to Google Interspeech, this is an annual presentation of papers, they'll see that, my goodness, there's a huge amount of investigation around speech. Okay. And it may be around concussion. It may be around disease biomarkers. Uh, and in our case, it's simply looking at safety critical areas. So... There was a, a bank of phone calls used to look at the prosodic values of the speakers. It was then scored for high or low, and that model then was set. When I joined the team in 2011 as part of a government program to develop innovation within universities, the, then I saw the opportunity to say, okay, that's great. Good to know about how the Japanese folks are speaking on the phone. And but how do we take this into a safety and mission critical environment? We're going to need mm -hmm. pilot speech audio. Okay. So that's where we worked with some pilots from uh, as part of a, a structured program to capture voices uh, of pilots doing these NASA tasks. So we worked with Aer Lingus pilots, we worked with right. Irish Air Corps pilots, and specifically we worked with the Maritime and Surveillance Squadron out of Baldonnell here in Ireland. And they were incredibly supportive of, uh, of our focus. And, and let's, let's not lose sight of the, the mission then, which remains now, which was to develop an objective measurement of CRM skills or CRM competency, so crew resource management. So we captured all that audio of pilots in training rooms, some operational flights, some simulators, and then we were able to develop a generic model to say when we capture signal values of X, that equals excellent. If it's Y, it's it's good, and onwards we go, and we have four grades within the within that, and so that's how we how we trained it. So it's a generic model today. Do we see room for it to be adapted into a uh, more adaptive, more dynamic? Yes, I think we as we move into new environments, people might say actually how heli pilots speak is different to how maybe uh, F thirty five pilots speak, and mm -hmm. so. There may be nuances to how we, that has changed. But the fundamentals that we've seen, and we've processed speech comms from on the aviation side from you know, A320 SIM, 737 800s, F35, F16, wide-bodied, heli, but consistently the platform's being able to process and get, uh, get, get grades. And it's always correlated with what was observed on the training day. And I think right. it's just the level of correlation is what we're interested in. So we've seen everything from, from 0.70 on very small data sets captured to right up to 0.86. And that's really linking between right. what an instructor will see or an aviation psychologist and the signal data set. So you have, in fact, trained the model using professional flight instructors or psychologists and their assessment of the situation Correct. and compared that and use that data to train the, your model. 
your AI model. Correct. And it's quite interesting because I'm not a software engineer by background. I trained as a, a business analyst originally and then became a project manager of emerging technologies with a software focus. So when it comes to AI, I kind of, I just listen in a lot of meetings and ask the questions to, to really understand. And I think the essence and certainly from where we sit is the essence of AI in our world is a lot of AI around the deep neural nets is a very much a dragnet approach where you're looking mm -hmm. to identify what features should our system hone in on. So for example, if we're talking to each other for the listeners, we're on a video conference line effectively. So I can see Sam, he can see me, we're listening to those voices, but there's also a little bit of motion with the hands and blinking and scratching heads, all those things that go human nature. And they're all different types of communication. So there's lots of different facets of communication we could assess. I suppose the classic kind of video conference is somebody folding their eyes and maybe looking out the window, looking stone bored on conference calls. Or whether, so this is just part of, you might, you might bring the person back in and say, hey, are you still with me? So we've picked up on that. If we took a dragnet approach, we try and assess everything that's happening. Let's say it's just in a level D simulator. We'd be looking at all of these chin scratches, head turns, somebody moving a bag, all of these things. We have to prioritize and say, well, actually, what's really relevant here? And so this is where the blended approach of saying, okay, let's look at gaze tracking. We might look at uh, thermal uh, imaging of the face because we can determine some values on workload by the changes in, your, in, in the temperature of your nose. We look at the voice tones, uh, let's say from Vocavio. And all, blending those all together would enable us to really get a, a good sort of uh, good telemetry data and, uh, or biometric data to, to understand the crew state. So there's the dragnet approach that looking at loads mm -hmm. of features and then there's the, the, there's the more tight, tighter approach by looking at when the specific features you're going after. And I suppose that was mm -hmm. the key advantage we saw early on is that because we know there's a whole 30 plus years experience of people looking at prosody, we knew pitch was hugely important, the pitch of your voice. We know the rhythm and the tone. All, all those aspects are, are features where we can focus in on. So it's a very tight model. Yep. We don't need, and people often ask them, so you know, how much audio do you need to train it or to understand? Because perhaps maybe my pilots, I'm based in Austria and my Germans or my, my pilots speak German and or Austrian. And what, what do you need to train it? And we say, we, we don't because the spasodic layer is very reliable. And that's the beauty of it. And I think, yeah, yeah, that does sound like that is the beauty of it. There's this uh, layer of information that is vocabulary accent agnostic, I, I assume. It's also gender agnostic and voice agnostic, the characteristics of a person and their, their voice. Correct, correct. Right. And really, we're just looking for what we call the, these accommodation values. And yeah. often we, people say to us, what's the minimum amount of speech you need? And we say, well, actually, five seconds. But you don't wow. get much from five size seconds. So if we processed a, a loft exercise or from, let's say, a typical 15-minute exercise pilots, a line-orientated flight training exercise they would do mm -hmm. in a simulator, we, if we set that to five seconds, giving me, give me values every five seconds, it would look like your heart rate at a football game. It would just be <laughs> so choppy that you'd say, I'm a trainer, but I can't really do much of that. So if we mm -hmm. push that out and say, only give me a value every minute, now all of mm -hmm. a sudden we can see this nice line graph across the journey and we get to say let's look at metadata from the simulator when when was the engine fail let's say it's a, a, an engine fails yeah. on, on final you know we can now tag it and say oh look at that link between the engine fail or, or and the actual event 
often we have found uh, in the data we look at, there's always a precursor. There's always a dip, you know, even maybe two minutes out. And when you listen into the audio, one pilot has brought to the other pilot's attention. Do you hear that? Or there's, I'm not happy with the, there's some, something coming up on, uh, something on the flight deck, they spotted on the TCAS or otherwise they, they flag something. So there's almost like a precursor to an event happening because mm. thankfully our pilots are very well trained. And when they're, they put their game face on to go to work, they're completely switched in and that's what you want. So they're constantly monitoring for things and this is a consistent pattern we've seen ourselves. What do you do to ensure that the neural networks don't spit out something that you haven't thought of before? These are non-deterministic systems used in safety critical environments. What are the algorithmic systems or governance reporting frameworks do you use to ensure users can trust your neural networks? That's a great question, and it's a really important area. Trust in the outputs is going to be key. We see ourselves as a, a provider of a component, and right. ultimately we're only one provider in a complex aerospace supply chain. We, when we provide our system in, we literally will bow to the, the greater knowledge of the, the larger organizations to say, well, how are you planning to use it? I think that's an important part. We would always want to right. understand how someone planning to use this. Because exactly to your point, you do not want a situation where someone gets into their head that data should be judge and jury on someone having a good day in the office or not, or a good day in the flight deck or not. That's not what this is about. Uh, the data is always about supporting instructors to enable uh, a more meaningful debrief and create learning learning moments with pilots so that they're, they can get to competency levels faster. And that's really the the, the, the guts of it. So the governance side of it, I've been listening to your own podcast. We know there's there's a huge part of AI is still in the wild west. It still has to be tamed, but it's reassuring that the aerospace and defense companies that are you know bringing in these technologies, they're doing it in a very controlled manner, to yeah. so that they can ensure that areas that we're not using deep neural nets in, in in our technology, but we do know of the, an area called false positives within deep neural nets. Mm -hmm. So you do need this term, the human in the loop. What we are seeing in the market is that where technologies like our own are being deployed, uh, the role of the instructor is brought in to really provide other data points. So bringing back right. to that example of, let's say, looking at that loft exercise where there was an engine failure, that was the main event. We would want to be, they, we would want to be seeing ultimately that the instructors were tagging that and could see that, right. yeah, that was a high workload event and what other... Mm -hmm whatever other competencies they were looking out for. And over time, the systems that will come through for pilot training will be incredibly reliable. And they will really, there's there's nothing to fear. And it's, I, I know maybe to, to humor your listeners a little bit, it's kind of maybe the fear of the weighing scales after Christmas. Some folks <laughs> might be thinking, but I know I've enjoyed myself too much of everything. And then you get the scales and it says, it confirms maybe it supports what you already decided, which was, you'd put on a few kilos. In the case of this type of data output, again, we never see this as being judge and jury. It's a decision support system. If we put this into an A320 in EasyJet or Airline X, what sort of product warranty would you provide to Airbus or the airline? We have a data room of all the supporting uh, documentation to, to get to where we are, to earn our seat at the table. In terms of the, the warranties, I, I think the only analogy I could bring to you, Sam, would be when you buy a thermometer down in your local pharmacy, what type of warranty do they give you to tell you that the thermometer was accurate? 
And is it the difference between you having a fever and not having a fever because you just bought a cheap thermometer that had a bit of an off day? So I think it's down to the quality of the organizations that are going to be using this technology. They have their own, they're very complex supply chain. You do not get a seat at the table if you are not providing capability that has gone through a lot of rigor. And we're thankful that we have a very safe industry, aviation industry, because the organizations involved have their, all their own checks and balance and safety management mm-hmm. systems to ensure that the, the right people are flying aircraft. In terms of technology, it's quite similar from a supply chain perspective. They do their own due diligence and rigor to ensure that the, the, the right technology is at the table. And I think you've touched on some two really interesting points there. Before you were saying that you're alluding to the idea that in aviation and in aerospace, we develop these machine learned software capabilities that are thin slices of the capability stack and they sit in this mesh of all these other technologies people checks and balances and vocavio the 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 software that you're producing isn't sitting there analyzing everything that's going on in the cockpit and going this is this guy passes this guy fails there's going to be an accident it's sitting within this um environment where it's providing this yes technically it is non-deterministic but it gives you a confidence interval and you know exactly what to do with that confidence interval. And which is the second thing that you were mentioning is that the thermometer tells you, do you have a fever or not? The software that you're producing tells you, I forgot the word again. It <laughs> tells well, you the communication performance. It tells you, we, we forget about the science piece of it. It, it tells you where your communi- communication performance is at what grade it is. Exactly. And it will tell you that to a sufficiently um, robust, robust level and you don't need this extreme fidelity perhaps in Correct. in that situation and it does its job and you know how well it does its job because it is a machine learned piece of software and it's been tested and you can say this is and it will tell you this is accurate 92 percent for this minute and this minute it's accurate 94 percent and you know exactly how to use that and manage that it, no you're absolutely right and sometimes we in in our love of ai and new technologies we can lose sight of ultimately the, the mission and mm. the mission on our side was to provide this software to enable instructors create better learning moments around non-technical skills. So how can we now move from mm. your typical uh, level D simulator environment training today? Instructors have an incredibly hard job trying to capture and observe a huge amount of human behavior. These softwares are being brought in to look at the non-technical skills to say, yeah, I know you guys are good team workers. I know you're good communicators under pressure. But based on what I saw today, I'd like you to work on this. And I yep. think whether you're 24 and you're coming into the industry or you're 52 and you've plenty of hours behind you, I think the big shift we're, we're moving towards is creating a more personalized training experience whereby software and other uh, biosive data that's generated can actually tell you more about you when you're under pressure mm-hmm. and as you're doing your job and you, you know what, and keep you engaged and, and keep you switched into what all the safety practices are. Hmm. So what would you say to people in aviation, particularly probably in airlines that are considering this kind of technology? And maybe you could comment on the issue of the fear of data. Yeah, I, I think there's, there is nothing to fear. All these technologies do is move the state of the art forward. And uh, the innovation is the one constant. And it's an industry that on the one hand is incredibly conservative and that gives confidence to the flying public. 
And on the other hand, is constantly looking to innovate to make the machines uh, better, more fuel efficient, safer in, in so many facets. I think pilot training uh, hasn't perhaps had that level of innovation. There's lots of things can be pointed towards, but that's not our role. We're in an environment now where we know pilots, before they go on the flight deck, they might be taking off their Fitbit, or they might be, some of them are monitoring their heart rate through their watch. We know even from different presentations we've been to that pilots are doing this themselves. They're tracking, what's my heart rate like on final approach? That's Mm -hmm. interesting how that correlates. So there is just a general thirst for performance data. So whether you've, again, I think one of the origins of our own technology in Vocavio was I, I, I cycle and I've, I've always used Strava. I've loved it. I'm always fascinated with the sort of my own yeah. after action review or debrief on how I've done it on a particular uh, ride. Yeah, totally. So, and I think that's, it's around performance data. It's the, the, the why not? Can, can we make training? It's not about throwing out the old. It's about building on it and saying, okay, these technologies exist. We can now probably do our job better, faster, and the data can give us objective, we can have the objective conversations with people around performance. And, and ultimately, we want to, pilots are busy, airlines will be busier, and, and we're, all, uh, we're all looking forward to getting back to, to full service. But really, it's around that training component. How do we make it more dynamic, get trainees, whether they're cadet, pre-command, or recurrent training, get them more engaged. And I think data is going to facilitate that. So that there's nothing to fear. I think it's around ultimately how instructors can be supporters in uh, creating an environment where we the data facilitates better learning. Well, thank you very much, Connor. Communication analytics coming to an airline near you in four to five years' time. I really appreciate the conversation. And yeah, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks, Sam. Enjoyed being here. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of Deep Sky. I hope you have enjoyed our conversation with Connor. To find out more about what Connor is building, a link to his website is in the show notes. If you have any questions about the future of AI in aviation, or would like to have a chat about how AI may impact your business, company, or career in the future, then please send me an email at samuel.chandra01 at gmail.com. The email address is in the show notes. Please do come back next week for another engaging conversation. This is Deep Sky. Deep Sky.